This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, September 9th, 2022, the 597th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You will be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. I cannot express how grateful and thankful I am to all of you who have chosen to do that. But if you can't or you don't want to, just wait two extra days and you get the stuff for free. But if you can afford the $5 a month and you appreciate the show, it is the best way to support what I do. And the more people who do that, the more things I'm able to do on the show. I have big plans for what I expect to be able to do in 2023, and I hope you will help me get there. So yesterday, I talked at length about what it could potentially mean for the Queen of England to have been announced as dead, for her reign to have now officially ended and for a new King Charles III to be put in place and how that might affect the future of the British monarchy and the British Empire. That is a very real thing that still exists in the world, despite the fact that we were educated and fooled into believing otherwise. So I spent yesterday's episode talking about some of the geopolitical impacts, but there's one other part of that London Bridge video that I want to touch on today, and it is this. The gates of Buckingham Palace will then dawn a black-edged notice of the news. At the same time, a news flash will alert media around the world. Every media outlet is prepared for the news. 
Every radio station has a network of lights that will flash to indicate a national catastrophe such as this. All BBC shows will stop and proceed to run a feed dedicated to the news. News readers will change into the black suits and clothing that is on hand at all times in the news studio. And the traditional red BBC news branding will turn black. Newspapers, TV channels and radio stations have days of coverage ready to go. On the same day as her death, the Queen's eldest son, Charles, will immediately become king. And it's reported that the stock exchange, businesses and shops across the UK will likely close for the day out of respect. So once again, that video on Operation London Bridge was from Business Insider and that went up on YouTube in 2020, two years ago. So this plan has been in place for quite a while and you can see them rolling that plan out. And that plan is a pretty extreme one in terms of what they're attempting to do with the media and whatever they're attempting to do with the media certainly will impact the public's understanding of events as they evolve. All sorts of lights and bells and notifications are going to go off in newsrooms all around the world, letting them know that the queen has died. And now it's time to switch into the queen has died mode. So no matter who you are and no matter where you are, if you have any contact with the media whatsoever, you will immediately know the queen has died. You will immediately understand that it is time to shift into mourning mode. And you will immediately begin hearing the central narrative about the queen and her life and her work and now her passing. And I don't need to make any judgments on the queen or her life or her work whatsoever to see that this is pretty obviously a blanket, overwhelming propaganda campaign to get absolutely everybody around the world who witnesses any of this coverage on the exact same page of understanding that Queen Elizabeth II is the greatest person to ever live. Now she has died. We must mourn her death and not pay attention to anything else until we tell you it's time. And they have a whole schedule of how that's going to go down over the next 10 days. All the clothing will be black. All the banners along the screen will be black. You will no longer be allowed to be entertained. They're taking all the comedies off the air, and it's just going to be the queen all the time. In that video, it says days of news coverage have been planned. They are basically saying to everyone, Stop what you're doing and watch this movie about the queen. And if you have ever talked to a brain dead communist, you will know that they love nothing more than documentaries because documentaries allow them to think that they know everything about a subject they still know virtually nothing about in 90 minutes. And then they can repeat everything they've just learned to other people. And those other people will be like, oh, wow, this brain dead communist is quite sophisticated. And so I imagine they will eat this up. American Anglophiles will finally think this is my moment. This is the moment I've been waiting for. My obsession with British royalty is about to pay off for the next week, and I'm going to talk about all of it more than everyone else. Oh, they will be the stars of this weekend's cocktail parties. But the idea here is that everyone around the world, as many people as possible, all get on the same page about the central narrative surrounding the British monarchy. They're not hiding it. It's not an accident. It's not a bunch of random news organizations all deciding, oh, well, yes, the Queen of England dying is the biggest news in the world. And by the way, it may very well be the biggest news in the world. I'm not disputing that. I have no problem with saying that. My point is only that it's not each one of these individual 
editor in chiefs of all of these different news outlets just coming to that conclusion on their own and figuring out how the queen's death needs to be covered. It is a clearly laid out top down program of information dissemination, one message to absolutely everyone. That message begins with the BBC, which is British state media, and it spreads out from there. But this isn't the first time they've done that. And it makes me think of the Trusted News Initiative and the Google Initiative. And these are operations initially started from a Trusted News Summit in 2019, where the BBC joined forces with big tech to make sure that only the right information would be allowed to be consumed by people all across the world. And of course, it's not just the BBC and Google, it's the Financial Times and Reuters and the Hindu and Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and Microsoft and AFP out of France, the Washington Post, CBC and Radio Canada. It's mainstream news all across the world set up in 2019. Well, they went full bore in 2020 when it came to the pandemic. They made sure that everyone was on the same page about lockdowns and masks and how very deadly the very deadly pandemic was. They made sure that everybody trusted the experts and trusted the science. They made sure everyone knew ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were not only ineffective, but dangerous. Remdesivir was the drug of choice. The vaccines are very safe and effective. They will prevent you from getting COVID. No, they won't. They will prevent you from getting seriously ill. No, they won't. They'll prevent you from being hospitalized. No, they won't. They'll prevent you from dying. Also, no, they won't, but they're very safe and effective and you have to take one or else we can't have herd immunity and herd immunity is not the same thing it used to be. Now it's just something we say we sort of have once enough people take vaccines that don't work. But the Trusted News Initiative existed to make sure that only approved information was accessible by everyone. You don't want people ending up on the wrong page. Not when it comes to something as important as a very deadly pandemic or a very safe and effective vaccine. And you especially don't want people on the wrong page when it comes to what might lead to the total collapse of the British Empire. I mean, that could never happen, but I'm just saying it might happen. This is from yesterday in Fortune magazine, an article headlined Black Clothes, Sad Music and Cold War Era Alarms. British media's strict game plan for reporting Queen Elizabeth II's death. And you jump down into the Operation London Bridge section. The BBC will fire up its radio alert transmission system, known as RATS, a Cold War era alarm that many of the organization's staff are aware of, but have never seen in action. The broadcaster's protocols will see its presenters continue to don black clothing after the Queen's death is officially announced. Its three main channels, BBC One, Two and Four, will be interrupted, as will its radio stations, the latter of which will play somber songs as they prepare to announce the news. The procedure when it comes to music on the radio isn't limited to the BBC. According to leaked documents on Operation London Bridge, every radio station, even hospital channels, have playlists prepared which consist of Mood 2 or Mood 1 songs, sad and saddest, for teams to dip into in case of sudden national mourning. Meanwhile, obituaries and commentary about the Queen and the royal family will dominate the airwaves across all major UK broadcasters, including the BBC, ITV, Channel 4 and Sky. Staff at British newspaper The Telegraph have been briefed to wear black clothing into the office for a number of days in the event of the Queen's death, a source told Fortune. So all of that is very strange. And maybe it's just because I'm American or maybe just my own 
predisposition avoids this kind of one-minded follower mentality wherever I see it. But this is pretty creepy. They're basically trying to influence human behavior and human emotion. And they're the ones deciding how you should feel. Mood one or mood two. Sad or saddest. Oh, I don't think the people are sad enough yet. Let's move them to the saddest possible music. You will see the sadness and the mourning with your eyes. You will hear the sadness and the mourning with your ears. You will go outside around the streets, engaging in your normal day-to-day activities, and you will see people wearing black because they want to be part of the club, the club that shows just how upset they are about the death of the queen. They have to correspond at least to mood two. They may not be the saddest, But they have to show you that they're at least sad or maybe they'll have to start wearing even blacker clothing to let you know they really are the saddest. They want to comply the most. They want to conform the most. And naturally, the people you see doing this will probably be wearing one or two masks or maybe more. Maybe they have black T-shirts that celebrate the vaccine and they can kill two birds with one stone. Or maybe they'll just be parading in their black clothes and collapse from myocarditis. And you will know that person is committed to the program. Everyone must get on the same page. Back to the Fortune article. In a segment labeled Digital Blackout, both the UK government and the royal family's website will go into states of mourning, according to Politico which obtained copies of secret plans for the aftermath of the Queen's death last year. The government website and its social media pages will display black banners, while the royal family's website will change to a black holding page, displaying a statement confirming the Queen's death. On Twitter, government departments will be banned from posting non-essential content, and retweets will also be prohibited. Now, you might be thinking, isn't that kind of deranged? And you would be right. That is totally and completely deranged. As mentioned in the London Bridge video, if they have a bank holiday and shut down all these other businesses and spend all this money on this grand ceremony, they're going to wipe millions or maybe billions of dollars just right out of the economy. No big deal. And you won't be concerned about it anyway, because you will be home watching newscasters in black clothes tell you stories about how great the queen is over music that might be mood one or mood two, depending on maybe what time of day it is or what type of weather Britain is currently experiencing. If the skies above London are gray, maybe you only need sad. And not saddest. But if it's sunny out, got to put the saddest music on. People are going to be naturally just a little bit happier. And you can't have that. You can't have that. There's only one proper emotional and intellectual response to an event like this. That could have occurred really any time, but was announced yesterday. A whole two days after The queen just appointed a new prime minister. You know, the prime minister, the person elected by the people to lead their constitutional government in parliament. And that's what you have to remember to believe. Otherwise, you might say to yourself, hey, the queen appoints the prime minister. So that's not really an elected representative. That representative is elected by the queen. Oh, we elected that representative At some point, maybe, assuming our elections are legitimate, and then the queen elected that person herself. Okay, so she appointed a prime minister and died just two days later. I wonder how all of this will look in the movies they produce about this grand event someday. Will the queen have stayed alive just long enough to appoint the new prime minister? Because if this particular prime minister weren't appointed, the whole world might fall apart. 
Oh, the British people, they need the proper prime minister. I must stay alive until I can appoint Liz Truss. And then perhaps my life is at its end. I mean, what in the world is going on here? Is this just random? This is just a coincidence that the prime minister was appointed by the queen. A duty, a key duty that she simply could not relinquish to Prince Charles. She had to do it herself. And so she did it. And then two days later, she dies of old age, totally incapacitated. Two days ago, she was looking at least a bit spry, if, you know, not kind of old. And she had her hand bruised, which I suppose is a hematoma of some sort. I'm not doubting that she has been in poor health and in poor condition. That's just fine. Did they really get her all dressed up and done up so she could appoint a prime minister two days before her death? I'm not saying it couldn't happen, right? It could happen. Obviously, it could happen. But also, really? But let's forget about that because that's a conspiracy theory and get back to the fact that government agencies are limited as to what they can do on Twitter. No posting non-essential content and retweets will also be prohibited. Now, on some level, maybe that makes sense on just a purely practical basis. A new king is coming in. Maybe it's not right for the government agencies to be putting out their own information without the new king's approval about the direction he wants to take the government in. But that would also kind of indicate that the monarchy has a lot more influence than the people are generally told it has. King Charles III made a statement today promising to love and respect all of his peoples around the world in all the nations and the commonwealth where he is now the head of state. And you can imagine that in all of those places, all of those peoples are being intentionally and similarly saddened by the same total media dominance and media blackout of stuff that doesn't confirm the central narrative about the Queen's death. Again, they did this same thing with COVID and the vaccine and, by the way, the 2020 election, which the Trusted News Initiative was also set up to help influence. Can't have that disinformation getting out there. Not when we need Joe Biden to win to preserve the global communist order, which is absolutely and totally separate from the crown. It just turns out that the Five Eyes Nations, the United States, Canada, Great Britain, Australia, and New Zealand, they all share intelligence. And all of those nations, the United States somewhat excluded, took the same approach to the coronavirus. How odd? How does something like that happen? And it's an interesting question because part of my experience, and I imagine yours, in constantly being called a conspiracy theorist for the last two and a half years was the disbelief on the part of child-brained communists that all of these nations around the world could actually coordinate to do the same things if it wasn't a real threat. How could they all be in on it together? That is a mystery beyond solving for child brains. I mean, what do you expect them to do? A half an hour of research? You expect them to understand the Trusted News Initiative and the influence of media organizations when they're all owned by only six corporations? You expect them to understand that the social media 
big tech companies will censor and propagandize according to the wishes of these global organizations. You expect them to understand that there's a World Health Organization that operates hand in glove with our CDC and recommends all of the same policies and responses. You expect them to understand that there are global governing bodies like the United Nations, which they already must know about on some level. And do you expect them to understand that the United Nations works hand in hand with the World Economic Forum that actually publishes all of these very plans about what they're going to do in the event of a pandemic or one to just occur naturally from a bat that someone eats as part of their soup in a Chinese wet market? No. You can't understand all of that in a half an hour, especially not when people like me can say it in 45 seconds. And because upon hearing that, they would realize that they probably could understand it in a half an hour if only they wanted to ask, they will simply realize that something like that could never be true and their explanation of all of these countries working around the world independently, all coming to the exact same totally incorrect and anti-scientific conclusions, was not only the right answer, it's the only answer. In fact, you get incentivized to say that it's the only answer because everyone around you says, oh yes, thank you so much for saving my grandmother. But who knows, maybe they're feeling a little frisky that day and they want to try to say the other thing. Well, they'll immediately find out that that is absolutely insane. Their friends will tell them, their family will tell them, and armies of bots online will tell them that's insane. How could all of these people reach the exact same conclusion if they weren't following the experts and trusting the science? or following the science and trusting the experts. Either way, all of these conclusions are right, and it's because we have such intelligent, thoughtful, responsible people following the science and trusting the experts around the world that they all reached the same correct conclusion. And once they've decided it's the correct conclusion, they just continue on forever, knowing that it's the correct conclusion even while reality proves them wrong over and over and over and over and over and over and over. But reality never does that, you see. Because if reality had, the television would have told them. So, top-down information operation, not a secret. It has an absolute parallel precedent in our very recent past. Everyone will receive the exact same information planned out for days at a time, complete with the same imagery meant to evoke an emotional response, the same sound, the same words, the same music, all meant to evoke an emotional response. Everyone needs to get on the same page and your communications will be limited. Because they don't want the wrong message going out. They don't want anything to distract from a moment as important as the queen dying or of a very deadly pandemic coming out in the world from totally natural causes and then sticking around for years, even after people have stopped dying from it. Oh, but I know, I know. How can you say that? millions of people have died except no they didn't and just look at the data and how all of these numbers were produced kami but these are two obvious examples of a top-down media approach to get everyone on the exact same page in an informational sense and in an emotional sense and of course the same thing happens here it's happening here on those two things, of course, but it happens here in a broader sense as well. Celebrity deaths are covered that way. Deaths of presidents, the death of 
very important national political icons like George H.W. Bush and John McCain make a huge deal out of it, flood the airwaves, make sure everyone's on the same page. They all understand the key points of the central narrative, and they understand how important it is that this great hero has passed from the world. And they have always done this. Most people remember where they were when JFK was assassinated, if they were alive at the time, obviously. They remember the images and the music and the emotions and how people felt. The same was true of the Challenger disaster. When I was in elementary school, we used to watch the launch of space shuttles on TV in our classrooms. Everybody remembers 9-11. The airwaves are completely flooded and everyone needs to get on the same page. And that was a little easier before the advent of social media. Everyone would see the same newscasts. They would read the same newspapers and they understood and pretty much accepted the same story that gets more difficult with social media because people can find their own information and connect with other people and then spread that information. That's why social media propaganda and censorship are so important. And that's why the governments of the world work directly with these companies to try to tailor exactly what the people are allowed to know and not know. And think about viral content on social media. You might remember the Ice Bucket Challenge or Coney 2012. You might remember a few years ago there was a Tide Pod Challenge. Was it real? Who knows? People were eating Tide Pods. And then a few days later, Tide sponsored the Super Bowl. Magic. But think about what that viral content is intended to do. It's to influence people's behavior through imagery and sound, get everybody on the same page and make them behave and respond accordingly. Every wannabe influencer in the world tries to produce content that will go viral on some level because they want the followers. They want the attention. They believe that they'll be able to monetize that. And once they monetize it, they'll be famous and their lives will be perfect. There are entire companies and industries devoted to creating viral content, often just to get consumers to spend their money on one particular product over another but also to conform with desired behavioral responses like wear a mask, drop your mail-in ballot in the Mark Zuckerberg Dropbox rather than the mailbox. This is new. This is so much more official. It's going to make you feel better when you show everybody else how you're participating perfectly in this great new process. Hopefully everyone will eventually do it and then we'll have the best process ever. We will have the safest and most secure elections of all time. Now go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Wear two masks, defund the police, support our firefighters. Fight global climate change by turning off your lights. That's the purpose of the viral content. That's why they pay the influencers. That's why your government takes your taxpayer money and then gives it out for marketing, for public communications. As part of the COVID relief packages, they did this. They sent federal dollars to the states so that the states could create programs to propagandize the citizens through the creation of viral content using massive influencers like athletes and actors or micro influencers like people who had their own communities that paid a lot of attention to particular people. And maybe that's college professors or your local pastors. They need the message disseminated everywhere and 
creating viral content on social media platforms was one of their best ways to do that. But what about when that's not good enough? What about when that only hits some people and not everybody is getting that message? Maybe they've checked out. They don't want to see that kind of stuff anymore. They stop following those kind of influencers on social media. Maybe they leave social media altogether. Well, what's even better than creating viral content? Because viral content does need to be spread either by human users reposting it or by bots reposting it. But still, what's better than that? Well, you could just send a message to every single person's mobile device and make sure that they can't turn off receiving those messages. Now, what kind of messages are those? Well, no one wants to see straight up political advertising just continuously dropped on their phone all the time. That would become incredibly annoying and people would tune it out. Why would that be important? Well, you can make it important. How do you make it important? Call it an emergency. Once you can send emergency broadcast signals to people's phones, you've achieved something even better than viral content on social media. Now everybody gets the message directly from the government. So there won't even be any mistakes in the messaging. They get that message exactly perfect. And they did that with the coronavirus. They did that with the vaccines. They told you where to get the vaccines. They told you how many masks to wear and how many feet away you should stand from anyone else in the grocery store. In California, they told you about the level of infection in your community. Ooh, community spread. We're in an orange zone. We might go up to red if you all don't mask up. Well, what are they communicating now? Now they're communicating about the weather. In California, the weather is too hot. So you get emergency alerts, like from the Amber Alert system, basically. First, it was just for kidnappings. Keep your eyes open for a silver Toyota Corolla. And now all of a sudden, you're part of the FBI and you get to go out there and solve crimes. Hopefully, you'll do it in time so that the little child who was kidnapped can be rescued. It's on you. I was remarking on Truth Social about a month ago about how I was getting multiple of these messages every day. That's a lot of kidnappings. That means it's very scary to go outside. But we've all agreed that Kidnapping messages, these Amber Alerts, are very, very important, so we accept them on our phone. And we quite often ignore them, to be perfectly honest, because what are you going to do? You're going to start driving around on the freeways, spotting silver Corollas? Of course not. Now, has any Amber Alert actually worked and someone has responded, hey, I know whose car that is? Maybe they have. And if they have, Awesome. Really not the point and really not any refutation of the point I'm making. The idea that these messages might produce positive results sometimes really says nothing about what they're using this system for now. They are sending people in California messages about how they need to stop using their electricity from 4 to 9 p.m. They are telling people day after day after day not to charge their electric cars at certain times. And if you can't do that, well, then you can't drive. And if you can't drive, I guess you're just going to have to stay home again, just like you did during lockdown. Except now it's just it's a little too warm lockdown. In Europe the other day, Ursula van der Leyen actually said that they need to flatten the curve to preserve their electricity. Oh, we just need to get everybody using less electricity. And then the system will stay online for everyone for a while until we turn it off. I had a friend in the desert of Southern California, east of Los Angeles, a few days ago, who was receiving emergency alerts about fires somewhere in the vicinity. Just that message popping up on everyone's phones in the area saying, hey, 
It's okay right now, but it's worth being scared. And it's worth considering that you might have to evacuate because there is a very, very deadly fire happening right now. And we definitely didn't start it. I don't know what did. It's probably just climate change. But if you've followed the recent history of climate change related fires in California, you'll know we can't contain them at all. And so, you know, we might burn your home down. I mean, the fire might burn your home down. The point is, it's a very important message. It's an emergency. And that's why we sent it to each and every one of your phones, because trying to make viral content about this, well, it's just not going to work. We need you to know what you need to do right now. And we expect your compliance. We expect you to behave. And the more of these we send, the more you will know that not enough people are complying and behaving. So what you need to do is you need to start harassing all these other people and making them fall in line. They need to understand this is a government order and the government is here to look out for your safety. If you don't listen to the government, you're killing someone's grandmother with coronavirus or with not taking the vaccine or with a very violent insurrection. If you keep saying the big lie or with a fire that the state of California definitely could not have prevented and definitely cannot put out. But all of this is a conspiracy inside the child brain of a communist. Their entire goal is to serve the state because serving the state is how they reap rewards. And those rewards come mostly in the respect of other compliant communists who expect to receive rewards as well. So you kind of just reward one another with little pats on the back. Thank you for not killing anyone's grandmother. And if they just support the state enough, maybe they'll be rewarded by the state. But that's never guaranteed. And demanding that would be selfish. You know who really deserves the rewards? Poor people. Do they get the rewards? No. But if we keep behaving and complying, someday they might. And if we become compliant enough, someday we might. And if the state realizes that we have special talents, especially in the field of being able to encourage other people to behave, oh, then we might get rewarded big time. And because they're consumed, as all children are, with being on their best behavior in search of superficial rewards, they ignore the whole part about how this is quite obviously and clearly communicated to be a government influence operation from the top down that they don't hesitate to tell you about or show you. And even once they accept that that's true, they still imagine that it couldn't work on them. And even if it could, it doesn't matter because this particular instance is so important. This is the coronavirus we're talking about here. This is a very deadly pandemic. This is the death of the Queen of England. What could be more important? This is a forest fire in the desert. Run and hide. Whatever it is, it's not that nefarious thing you think it is, you conspiracy theorist. The government would never use these overwhelming powers for anything nefarious. How could you even accuse them of such a thing? And because the government never would do anything bad, it means they haven't done anything bad. And because they haven't done anything bad, that means the program isn't what you say it is. This is from Tuesday in Breitbart. Zombie media cartel bill back and worse than ever would strengthen legacy media punish anti-establishment outlets. A new version of the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act is circulating that is worse than the original. 
It allows mainstream legacy and left wing media to form exclusionary media cartels and then empowers them with extraordinary collective bargaining power to collude with big tech companies. The amendments serve only to spell out in greater specificity how to exclude conservative and anti-establishment media from any alleged benefits. Specifically, the new JCPA contains a provision that allows eligible media companies forming a cartel to, quote, create admission criteria for membership unrelated to the size of an eligible digital journalism provider or the views expressed by its content, including criteria to limit membership to only eligible publishers or only eligible broadcasters. That provision is significant, especially for its specificity. These mainstream and left-wing media cartels may not exclude based on size or views expressed by its content. But that is not how the exclusion happens or will happen. These self-appointed mainstream and left-wing media cartels are allowed to exclude based on the usual, totally subjective factors they always do, such as trustworthiness, fake news, extremism, misinformation, hate speech, conspiracy, correction policy, expertise, authoritativeness, etc., All of these terms are viewpoint neutral, yet when interpreted by leftist NGOs, media watchdogs like NewsGuard and the fact checkers and content moderators of big tech inevitably end up targeting just one side of the political spectrum with only the occasional token reprimand of the corporate mainstream media. Despite misleading the American public for years, even winning a Pulitzer for their efforts, most of the news companies that pushed the discredited Russiagate conspiracy theory, like the New York Times and the Washington Post, continue to receive a green approval rating from NewsGuard, while news outlets that debunked the conspiracy, like Breitbart News and Fox News, are smeared as untrustworthy and unreliable. And... Yes, it's worth mentioning you have to love when Breitbart and Fox News paint themselves as some anti-establishment alternative, even as they did nothing but repeat the lies about the 2020 election being legitimate and Joe Biden actually receiving 81 million real legal American votes, which the mind of a nine year old can figure out on their own is impossible. It's easy to imagine a news cartel pointing to NewsGuard criteria or the criteria of any organization presenting itself as an independent watchdog, as an allegedly viewpoint neutral excuse to exclude conservative and independent media. The bottom line is that any conservative or independent or any free speech advocate, much less any Republican who does not see this fatal flaw is whistling past the graveyard and is not worthy of political support. All they are doing by supporting this amended bill is rewarding mainstream legacy and left-wing publishers and big tech by allowing them to exclude whomever they deem not part of the club. And who do you think that will be? Here's a hint. Last week, the president of the United States, the fake one they're referring to, of course, just called half the country extremists who threaten the very foundation of our republic. And he has continued that for the week since. Fortunately, several important voices are speaking up against the lobbyist fueled JCPA. Numerous witnesses have testified to the bill's failings before the Senate and House, including award winning journalist Glenn Greenwald, former local journalist Dan Gaynor and former federal antitrust enforcer Dr. Daniel Francis. The GOP leadership in the House of Representatives has condemned the bill with the GOP leader Kevin McCarthy calling it the antithesis of conservatism and Judiciary Committee ranking member Jim Jordan warning it will be used to suppress competition. And skipping down toward the end, it's not just conservatives opposing the bill. The JCPA is so transparently aligned with the interests of corporations that even some progressive think tanks have spoken out against it. These include public knowledge, which called it a gift to Wall Street media executives and fight for the future, which argued it enables an Internet killing link tax and free press, 
which called it a bailout for Rupert Murdoch. The left-leaning Electronic Frontier Foundation also opposes the bill. All emphasized how the bill would benefit America's largest, wealthiest, and most corrupt media companies. Despite this widespread opposition, lobbyists have brought back the JCPA again with amendments that should leave the public in no doubt that this is a bailout for the legacy media. Again, they are trying to legalize and codify that which they are already doing, that which they are obviously already doing. Again, top down, British state media, American state media, all with the same message. All the media outlets owned by six mega corporations. What should we expect them to present? The news is basically nothing more than a commercial for the world they want you to help them build. Disney's news networks are going to produce news that displays the world they would like you to help them create for the benefit of Disney and Disney's larger political agenda. The same thing is true of General Electric. The same thing is true of all of them. They are building up a world using emotionally triggered images and sounds and ideas to get everyone on the same page and into the false reality that benefits them the most. Top-down communications worldwide everywhere. They're telling you they do it and people won't believe it. Everyone needs to get on the same page and behave accordingly. Everyone needs to comply or else you will be kicked out of society. You're just not going to be allowed to participate. And they've made that part explicit too. No one doubts at this point that the social media companies censor and ban and shadow ban people. I've had it happen. Many of you have had it happen. And the child brains on the other side know that it happens. They think it's good, of course, because they're authoritarians and communists, and they don't want anyone else to be able to speak. And they don't believe this is a problem because they are convinced that other people's ideas are bad and dangerous. And they never think about the fact that the ideas that are bad and dangerous might have the power to convince other people based on the fact that they are true and not dangerous. That's not what would allow those ideas to spread. What allows those ideas to spread is that everyone except the child-brained communists and the very best people are stupid and conspiracy theorists and susceptible to being tricked all the time. Not like them. They're never tricked, even while wearing two masks as they stand in line for the new iPhone. They could never be tricked, even as they go about their day-to-day -day life saying big lie, big lie, big lie about an election they've never looked into and can't in any way argue was legitimate. They could never be tricked. And yeah, sure. They've had three boosters and they own throw pillows with Anthony Fauci's face on them, but they could never be tricked because they are society's best and brightest and all of the culture they consume tells them exactly that because they're rewarded for their good behavior and their compliance as they have been ever since they were little children who had to behave so they could get ice cream. And the point of all this is that you only really need one side of the story. Think about all the brightest intellectuals who are still on Twitter. They don't ever actually think about the fact that all sorts of smart people raising objections and counterpoints and counter narratives just simply are not on the platform anymore because they've been taken off. So all of these very serious intellectuals don't actually have to contend with any of those points. They don't have to answer any of the problems with their own theories, because according to everyone in Twitter, these are the smartest people on earth, and there are no problems with their theories. 
And when you embrace all of that long enough, it turns out that there actually aren't two sides to any issue. There's only what the experts have said. You are meant to trust the experts and follow the science and trust the data. There's only one side now. And thankfully, they don't lie about this either. This is MSNBC superstar man of color, Mehdi Hassan, who as a person of color and as, I guess, a Muslim, you're not allowed to argue with ever unless you're a racist Islamophobe. And who knows? He's probably gay. So if you disagree with him, you're a homophobe as well. And if he's not gay, <laughs> doesn't matter. You're still a homophobe about somebody else for sure. And there's no point in arguing about it. There's no point in defending yourself. If you do that, well, you're going to be banned from social media. There are two words we need to remove from our media vocabulary right now, and that is both sides. This fundamental crutch, this reliance on both sides as a kind of lazy way of covering our political moment is deeply dangerous. There are a bunch of major issues in which there are not both sides. There are not both sides on climate change. There are not both sides on white supremacy. There are not both sides on democracy. Ben, there are not both sides on the Holocaust. I mean, we live in America where in South Lake, Texas school district, an administrator is on tape. My colleagues at NBC News got the recording telling teachers, if you give a kid a book about the Holocaust, you need to give them a book with the opposing view. What is the opposing view on the Holocaust? So the, there are not both sides. Right, and that is so obvious. So I and we can agree that that's week. offensive and stupid. But I think that there's also a lot of pressure on us to say there are not both sides at all times. And you saw all last summer's people saying there aren't both sides on whether Joe Manchin is a corrupt Cool. No, and it turns I, out it was a I negotiation. I think, I think quote often, a line from my book, you're strawmanning, Ben. I think that the actually I would say there are both. Look, okay, for example, for example, what should the corporate tax rate be? I think that's a perfectly legitimate debate to have. Right. What should the level be? Of course there's both sides on that. Right. Okay. But on the big issues of our time, on whether people should be able to vote, on whether people should be able to get to a ballot box, on whether uh, a one party should be able to overturn an election, no, there's not both sides. On whether, you know, QAnon, which is now dominating, which the leader of the Republican Party is now endorsing the idea that America is run by a cabal of media pedophiles. Yeah, there's no both sides on that. I don't that. think there are both sides on that one. I yeah, don't I, I, now, Mehdi Hassan is a blithering idiot, and that's obvious. There are no two sides on that. There are no both sides about that. He's only an idiot or he's not. And it turns out he is. End of story. But he is saying something true about the false reality. In the false reality, there are not two sides. And where does he get his information about the false reality? Well, he gets it on Twitter and from media outlets like his own. All of those media outlets cite each other. If you think back a few months ago, I covered a video from Project Veritas that was the deposition of one of the writers from the New York Times that was involved in the case between Project Veritas and the New York Times. And that writer was saying that her process of fact checking was simply finding out whether or not another legacy media outlet had reported the thing that she wants to say. And if she sees CBS News or the Washington Post or NBC, she feels confident in going forward that the information she's putting out has been successfully fact-checked. That's all it takes. And they now have Twitter to make that even easier for them. Everything that is not true is simply excluded from the platform or the algorithm makes sure people like Mehdi Hassan who do have platforms and can disseminate information simply never see it and they'll flood their feeds with bots supporting all of the right opinions that they put out. And we know this happens because they tell us from the top down, they are actually proud of the system they've constructed to propagandize and censor the world. They are not bashful about it at all. They're not ashamed of it. They're proud of it. They think that this is technology solving a problem. And there aren't both sides about what the problem is. There's only one side about what the problem is. The problem is the no-no people saying the no-no words. 
And of course, the biggest no-no person of all is Donald Trump. And everyone who follows Donald Trump is automatically a no-no person themselves. And the great thing is, once they have been denoted as the no-no people, anything else they might happen to believe becomes one of the no-no things. And then that gets removed from the conversation because there aren't both sides. There's only one side. And he understands that maybe there are both sides about what the top corporate tax rate should be. Sure, that's something we can have a discussion about. But we can't discuss whether or not there's climate change. There's only one side. Well, one of those issues is a policy proposal, and the other one is whether or not you accept an ideology. A more apt comparison would be, hey, Mehdi Hassan, is there a discussion to be had about whether or not we can just stop using fossil fuels in 10 years? And he might engage that conversation as long as you first accept his initial claim that there are no two sides about whether or not climate change is a real problem. Now, are there renowned experts around the world who have come out now and declared that climate change absolutely is not a problem? Of course there are. But you see, those people aren't allowed in the conversation. And that's how they make sure that there's only one side. And you see, Mehdi Hassan actually has no principles. If he didn't have that accent, absolutely no one in the world would take him seriously at all. But he does have that accent. And child-brained communists in particular, Anglophiles in particular, love that accent. Anything that comes from that accent is automatically taken seriously. So Mehdi Hassan is a very serious thinker. Even while he is explicitly telling everyone that his position is for the things he cares the most about, there simply are not two sides. It's only his way or the highway. And it's funny that he mentions the Holocaust because one of the Nazis' biggest things was propaganda and censorship. They especially liked book burning. Let's not only make sure that no one can get this information now, Let's make sure that no one can get this information ever. And so they will just change history. Eliminate all the old history because that makes it possible to repeat our savage history once again. And let's replace all of that with the latest research so that we can repeat all those things of the past, but no one will ever know they're bad now. And once you've been successful at that, at least to a certain portion of the population, and that portion is people who went to college and then left thinking they're the smartest people in the world and know everything like Mehdi Hassan and all Biden voters, the propaganda and censorship are no longer a problem. They're no longer something terrible the Nazis did. Now they're the solution. They're how to get rid of the no-no people and the no-no ideas once and for all, because the no-no people and the no-no ideas are now the ones we call Nazis. He just told you there are no two sides to white supremacy. There are no two sides to QAnon. And there are no two sides as to whether or not there are pedophiles in mainstream media organizations even though CNN already had two producers arrested this year for pedophilia. But none of that matters once you don't have principles. What matters is that all these issues are so important. They are emergencies. Not for us, but for someone for sure. Who are they an emergency for? Oh, it's the most powerful people and institutions in the entire world. And Who's more powerful than the British crown? Well, it's basically nobody, right? I mean, they have a sprawling empire that spans the world and their monarchy is so important that they need to shut down all of media and all of government for days and days while they just 
repeat the same stories with the same imagery and the same sounds to elicit the same emotion and the same behavior. Because the most important thing is that everyone gets on the same page. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!